Well, hello and welcome to the inaugural Inside Jobs podcast with me, Robert Barkley. This is brought to you with support from IHAF, the in-house agency forum, and this being the first of what we hope to be a long-running series of podcasts where we dig into the running of in-house agencies and speak to those who know it best. This first edition has a very special guest, Marta Stiglin, well-known as a brand strategy and organizational effectiveness consultant in the in-house agency arena and uh, has a number of prestigious clients and an illustrious career. Um, so, uh, so you're Marta Stiglin. I am. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you, Robert. It's great to be here with you. Well, it's uh, our pleasure to have you and uh, looking forward to hearing your thoughts about in-house agencies. It's a sector that you're quite well known for. It is. And we're going to hopefully find out a little bit about why that's the case and also some of your views on, uh, on this fast-developing world. Um, but first of all, uh, why are you here? Why do you know about in-house agencies and what right do you have to tell us about this world? I grew up on the external agency side. Uh, and I started out as a designer and then moved over to account management when I quickly realized that no one was managing these clients the way that I thought they should be managed <laughs> and was fortunate enough to be with an external agency that had really outstanding leadership and had tutelage and, and mentoring. And so they were willing to take a chance on an upstart designer that wanted to jump over to the dark side of account management, and they invested a lot in me. And I spent a number of years um, on the external agency side running account management teams up to an executive level um, until I was, I was recruited over to the in-house agency side, but we'll talk about that in a second. Any particular clients that you, you worked for that, uh, that stood out as great learning experiences for you at the time? So when I was working on the Polaroid account, it was about the same time that the patent that Polaroid had on instant film was running out and Fuji was threatening to take over, which eventually they did. So it was, a, it was a precipitous time for the company. We were working very, very hard on looking for ways to make an old product new again and spent you know, extraordinary energy going into the scientific sector and the law enforcement sector and certainly the professional photography sector to come up with new ways that people could use really what had been a legacy consumer product, but more on the B2B side, which it was a, it was a fascinating endeavor for me to come into a product that late in its life stage and be working on strategies to try to make it new again with, with completely different applications than it was ever intended to. I can imagine a lot of pressure at the time, but uh, a good experience for someone in one of their first major roles, I guess, as well. Great experience. Running that team was really, was really wonderful. and I had a great account team that, that focused on that business. I really enjoyed it a lot. So it was mostly above the line work, I presume, you were doing with Polaroid? It was a lot of direct marketing and uh, publication. So at the time, direct marketing and direct mail were the uh, redheaded stepchild to broadcast uh, TV <laughs> and general print advertising. And I was fortunate enough to spend a lot of time in that space early in my career, which helped me learn the importance of measurement and data and analytics. And nobody was really spending a lot of time on that at the time. 
uh, broadcast and general print and just sort of general awareness advertising was more the the soup of the day. That I think made me a much stronger marketer because it made me understand how the cause and effect of a spend on revenue and how to measure that and how to analyze that and how to really dive into that as a as part of the business engagement with the client. And now, of course, everything's being measured and analyzed, and that's the soup of the day. Um, so to have learned that very early on in my career, I think, was was foundational for the type of work that I went on to do. Well, not something that, that stereotypically comes naturally to someone who started out as a creative either, right? No. No, math is not my best subject. <laughs> in fact, when I went into account management, my mother said, why would you ever leave design to go into account management? You were never very good at math. <laughs> and I <laughs> well, said, Mom, it's not accounting, it's account management. And she said, still, I think you should go back. <laughs> <laughs> so she didn't quite get what account management uh, is, and, and I think never never did. She just sort of... Uh, sort of pined for my days of coloring and doing design. Well, there's one person who always tells me that mother knows best, and uh, she is indeed my mother. <laughs> so um, so you were, you, were, you were working as an account manager for Polaroid, an account that was in uh, undergoing a great deal of change and turmoil. Um, but between uh, after that, at some point, you switched to... Right, so I was recruited by Bose Corporation, actually, to run their direct-to-consumer... Uh, business. Now, how did that come about? Because you were in the agency side, you weren't in the in the brand side. So, right. were they a client of your firms, or they weren't? The there was a creative director that went to Bose, who I worked with a number of years ago, at an external agency, and he floated my name out there to them. Um, at the time, Bose was making a very deliberate decision to move all of its business in house. So there was one piece of business that was remaining with an external firm, which was the direct-to-consumer advertising business. And that client wanted what they were calling a real agency person to come in and run that business. I went in and, and met with a number of people and really never considered an internal agency. For me, in-house agencies were people that couldn't get a job in an external agency. They, you know, So I was very much an external agency snob. So quite honestly, I didn't really think that they were influencers in the whole process of developing advertising. Uh, and is that because they weren't or because they were do- operating behind the scenes because they could do say things outside meeting rooms that you couldn't? You know, again, I don't really even know because my exposure to them was so limited, mm, mm. which is why when I went into Bose, when they called me, I mean, I knew Bose as a corporation and as a brand, and I certainly admired the products and mm. the gentleman that was uh, the creative director there went on and on about how wonderful it was to work there. And so I went in and, and met with a number of different people. I spent the day there, and after meeting them, I was completely humbled by the level of talent and passion and expertise not only in the business of advertising, but also in the business of Bose and its legacy brand. So there were those three legs of the table that came together for me in those conversations that really changed my mind and hmm. um, and changed my heart around what the potential of an in-house agency was. And did you find that they had a lot to learn from an external agency person, particularly in account management and how to interface with the with the marketers and, and, and so on? Honestly, the word client, I think, was one of the most um, divisive and polarizing 
of philosophical, you know, pieces that came into play. I came in and would talk about the internal clients as clients. And I was corrected a number of times by my colleagues that, you know, they're not clients, they're partners or they're colleagues. And um, we're not an agency. They're not an account. So... Um, up until this point, from what I, from what I read in your, your sterling academic work with Harvard from early 2016, you set out the history of the in-house agency there. And, and they had up to that point really evolved into a pretty tactical part of a business that was there to dash out efficiently brochure artwork and so on, but really was um, fairly low down, I would guess, in the, in the visibility of the organization as a whole. And Something seemed to be different at Bose from what you're telling me. Is that right? Were they not regarded in that way? It had more creative responsibility, more strategic responsibility? Definitely. Um, Dr. Bose was pivotal in that regard. He felt very strongly that the in-house agency needed to understand the business of acoustics and and audio engineering and why the products were superior to alternatives from a technology standpoint. And hmm. so I took an audio, I took an acoustics class when I, when I started there. It was one of the requirements. Mm-hmm. There's not many companies that will, inv- and there, so there was math in that class, and I remember being horrified. <laughs> Thinking of, <laughs> Once again, it comes, it comes back, back to haunt back you. To haunt me. <laughs> um, <laughs> But to learn the products and the brand from the inside out was something that I had not experienced before on the external agency side. You can only get so close to the product and the brand and the culture of the company. And so learning it from the inside out versus from the outside in and having the company be as deliberate as it was to ensure that the people that were doing the work, driving the work, managing the work, what have you, were able to walk the walk, um, I think was, was the difference maker for me in, in seeing what the potential was of an in-house agency. Uh, you're crediting Dr. Bose himself with that uh, strategy. He's clearly you know, not primarily a marketeer, um, but nevertheless felt that it was important that his marketeers understood the product from Bose, uh, where you had played this key, you know, this important part, I guess, in professionalizing the in-house agency. Would that be fair? No, I mean, I, I'm, I, I don't know that I would take credit for that. I always knew at the end of the of every single day that if our team did not perform, we can easily be replaced by an outside agency. So I always hmm. knew that part of what we were trying to do was to certainly meet our revenue goals and meet our business objectives, but also arrive at a level of satisfaction and sustainability from a relationship standpoint with our internal clients. And although Bose did not have an external agency at the time, and as I said, decidedly insourced all of the work, that doesn't mean that tomorrow someone can't change their mind and there were yeah. You know, hundreds of agencies that would love to get their hands on Bose products as an account. It's a wonderful product set. It's a, a very cool sort of uh, absolutely. Just yeah. the brand is is at the top of its game, and also 
you know, mm. it's not 401k plans, right? So it's 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 speakers mm. and headphones and audio equipment and things that make people move and and music is, you know, a glorious thing. Well, I'm sure Marta would like to go on record as to say that the marketing of 401k plans <laughs> can be thrilling and a roller coaster as well. I would. That is not to disparage 401k plans. Not to, to my, disparage um, 401k you know, plans. My, my friends at Fidelity Investments and places like that. <laughs> not at all. There are things that are nice to have not and there are things exactly. you need. So this is telling the story of in-house agencies through the uh, career of, of Marta Stiglin, number one consultant to the industry. Um, you uh, you got kicked out of Bose then, or, or what? <laughs> I did not get kicked out. Um, I, it was one of the toughest decisions, I think, of my career, which was when I decided to leave there and launch my consulting practice. And you've done this for a few years now, Marta. I don't know how long for. Right, for this... I'm going on 13 years this year of, 13 of years. consulting in this space, yes. So you must have seen changes in that time. As I said earlier, you know, the uh, in-house agencies started out as tactical enterprises. You encountered Bose. It was clearly taking a more strategic role. Um, in the 13 years you've been doing this, and I know that you're a board member of the in-house agency forum, which gives you a, another view as well. Right. You know, and I, if you, you, you mentioned the in-house agency forum, so I'll sort of start there. Um, when I was leaving Bose, I had given my notice and, you know, had given them a couple months notice actually. And, uh, at about that time, a group of people in Boston were forming and were talking about, uh, in-house agencies and invited me into the conversation and said that they were going to be forming an organization that was focused on in-house agencies that the four A's is the, is the, the network for external agencies and the ANA is the, the organization for in-house client side mm. marketers. Um, but in-house agencies didn't have a posse. And mm. so let's get together on a regular basis and talk in-house agency. And so I, I was, as I said, I was transitioning out of Bose at the time. I went to the first meeting and said, you know, I'm transitioning out of Bose. So I don't know if you want to keep me in the group because I won't be part of an in-house agency. And, and they said, no, actually, based on your experience, we'd love to have you. Um, so this remain. was the inaugural IHAF meeting, no doubt, uh, was... an upstairs room in a bar <laughs> with smoke filled and... Uh, not at all. It was at the Ritz Carlton in Boston, in a very oh, of course, in a, yeah, sorry, in a, very, yes. in a very modest little meeting room. Uh-huh. Uh huh. In the Ritz Carlton. Okay, I get you. Because it was centrally located. Uh, of course. Well, you know, there's nowhere else in the middle of Boston. Where else would you meet other than the Ritz Carlton? Okay, you cannot keep this in the podcast. There's no, there's no way. <laughs> anyway, it was. It was. So a there very, you are, was, having champagne served. <laughs> It was a very humble gathering of people who didn't, we didn't know each other. We, you know, there was someone there from Blue Cross Blue Shield of Massachusetts. Mm -hmm. There was someone there from, uh, from Putnam Investments. There was someone there from TJX. I mean, there were, there was someone there from MFS Investment Management. There was, it was really just a small group of people or a dozen or yeah. so of us that said, you know, we all are, gosh, were, you encountered that? I encountered that. And we were yeah. all running into the same things. And, and we decided to, to meet on a fairly regular basis. Um, and yeah. IHAF was formed. So, you, so at the time you were becoming a consultant, you were a founding mother of IHAF. Right. Right, founding member. Okay. Right, I was founding member. Of, Is that right? Member of I have exactly. Member. Yes. Yeah, I try not. To, I was saying, say founding father, but <laughs> I didn't want to be misogynist. So, 
trying to, now I've just dug an even deeper hole. <laughs> but so there was a small group of us, and as people heard that we were getting together, they wanted to, they wanted to join. Where are you meeting? When are you meeting? And, and you know, fast forward to today, and, and IHAF has over 250 member companies, and it's a who's who of national advertisers. So that alone speaks to the growth of the in-house model is that I have landed on the scene at a time where there was an appetite and a need for this because... So you don't think that they were there anyway, these in-house agencies, but they just did, they weren't being counted because they weren't visible? It's been a quiet organizational form that is typically done below the line work. And mm-hmm. I think when IHAF was formed and when this you know, network formed in, in the Boston area and eventually became national... Um, it coincided with a period of time where the economy was doing some some funny things. So if we mm. even look at 2009, four years into IHAF's inception, 2009, 2010, when the economy really started to, mm. to go south, what wound up happening for advertisers is they were asked to do more with less. And so how do yeah. we do that? How do we take the bag of money that we had last year, which is now 80% of what it was, and spread that across uh, a a broader range so that we don't have any slippage in terms of our revenue or or retention of existing well, consumers. Well, not to mention the growth in potential channels for marketing Absolutely, through as well, right. which was coinciding with that. I was just going to say, and then you add the digital explosion there, and all of a sudden there's all different ways that we can encounter consumers, whether it's B2B or B2C. And in-house agencies were the ones that were tasked with doing a lot of the above the line work now. Um, Mm. And not that they weren't before, but it became just a a more popular place to look is as in-house teams were doing really strong work. It was like, why are we outsourcing all of this if we can do it faster and cheaper internally? And so that unfortunately became the, the, the mantra was that in-house agencies were fast and cheap, and that's why we use them. Um, Mm -hmm. That was an unfortunate stereotype that I think still plagues the model, quite honestly, because it's not just fast and cheap. Are they not fast and cheap? uh, (laughs) I think in-house agencies are nimble and provide a lot of value for the investment. I wouldn't say that that equates to fast and cheap. Fast and cheap to me communicates something different. There's a quality Mm. aspect and element to the work that's done in-house that rivals that of external agencies and a lot of and when you say when you talk about this quality are you you're not just talking about the kind of functional throughput of deliverables that that have come off campaign ideas you're also talking about the original ideation and development of concepts that is now coming from in-house agencies which i think is a relatively new turn isn't it by and large? I don't know that it's new. I think it's just more public. I think more people know about it. But I, you know, for for decades, um, in-house agencies have been doing breakthrough work. There's just not been a forum to be able to um, promote that or have that be known. I mean, it, there's not... The, when in-house agencies do something wrong, it's in the press. And when they do something right, it's a little less in the press, but it's becoming more... It's becoming Mm. covered more. And the level of talent that exists in-house has changed too. 
There are a lot of external agency folks who have jumped ship to say, I want to focus on one brand or I want to have relative Mm -hmm. calm around the products that I'm Mm -hmm. focusing Mm -hmm. on. And so it's an attractive model from, uh, from a recruitment standpoint as well. If people can get on board with a particular brand or a particular product set or a particular industry, and they really want to dive deep into that, into making change or, or figuring out how to connect that product or service or industry to the consumers um, that, are on the, that are on the outside, you know, it's a, it's a great place to be. So it sounds like um, going back to the young Marta who uh, left college and wanted to work in an agency, and you told me that you worked for an independent agency in New England. Um, And you said that you met people from in-house agencies, but they didn't say much at the table. If you had your time again, would you find it equally as valid to have started working in in an in-house agency I think that there's a lot to be learned on the external agency side that if you can bring that diversity of experience in-house, it makes you a stronger in-house, um, in-house employee. So it sounds to me like uh, for if, you're, if you're advising people to start out in, in traditional agencies and then if they want to, uh, they can switch across to an in-house agency and probably bring a lot with them when they do that and also learn a lot when they get there. Right. But it does sound like you feel that there is space for the traditional agency going forward. So hmm. I, I think that there is merit in having both internal and external agencies coexist and honestly exist as partners. But there's not conversation going on currently between the two in the way that I would hope that there will be eventually. It still goes through the client as the conduit, and the client is the one that's connecting and bridging the relationship between internal and external agency. How do we assemble the best team? How do we have the best idea come forward? How do we work collaboratively to that end? Because if we do, revenue will go up, and there'll be a bigger bag of money next year that we can fight about (laughs) because we can spend more. Well, uh, yeah, I've always keep thinking that there is a sort of when Harry met Sally question there about can an in-house agency work with an external agency for, you know, entirely in a mutually beneficial way. Um, You clearly think that that's possible, and and I think you've also written about case studies where that's born fruit and prudential come to mind uh, on that example. Um, You have to set egos aside, though. You have to check your ego at the door and really focus on what do you bring to the table that you're best at? What do I bring to the table that I'm best at? And how do we, how do we connect those pieces to come up with something really special that neither of us could have done alone? So I, I think there's high potential there. Businesses always ask themselves, what's core business to us and what's not core business to us, don't they? Um, and uh, the mantra has been for some time now, a couple of decades now, that if it's not core, then you outsource it. Um, clearly, the, uh, the job, I suppose, of those who define the remit of the in-house agency is to understand which part of what the in-house agency does is core, which can only come from within, as you said earlier, like at Bose, when you were put through an audio course, to learn it from the inside, which it would be hard to do uh, in any kind of sustainable way for external. So you know where that line is that's core business uh, and and try and optimize what's outside that line by outsourcing. And is, is that a fair summation, do you think? I do. I do. And it's finding external partners 
that complement and also are willing to um, acquiesce to what the in-house team does. Mm. It's it's mm. The, the minute you bring someone in from the outside, there's always this question of, are they working with me because they truly want to partner? Are they working because they want to take as much of the business as they can from me over time? Yeah. And so that when it, Well, that's a trust thing, isn't it? Absolutely. Which is only learned over time absolutely. and over a working relationship. Right. And, uh, right. So that's where the human condition comes in. So it's not... What's you know what's the magic formula for how to do what works for Prudential and Droga Five as you mentioned Prudential a couple minutes ago yeah, yeah. may not work for everybody else. It works for them because they learned how to dance that way, and so yeah. their dance partnership they've worked on together. Going to step on each other's toes, and that's okay. You figure that out, and you get better at it over time, and you build trust over time. Well, I think Marta, that's that's an excellent summation, a very positive summation, and I think it may be time for us to ourselves dance off now into the uh, into the distance and um, wrap up the show Thank you. Um, very interesting insights into your career and the in-house agency business from your standpoint but uh, if people want to get hold of you Marta and get in contact with you um, what's the best way for them to do that Thank you, Robert. I appreciate you asking um, and certainly appreciate participating in the podcast today. This has been a lot of fun. The inaugural POSC podcast. I know you like to be at inaugural events. This is another one. Not quite the Ritz-Carlton. I know. know. I was just going to say, I'm just disappointed that we're doing it, you know, with headphones on instead of at the Ritz. I'd really like that next time. uh, We're in Boston together in November at the IHAF conference. So maybe maybe we'll just run across the road to the Ritz just for a quick quick cup of tea. So getting in touch with me is pretty easy. You can um, find me at stiglin.com, which is my website, or um, reach me at marta at stiglin.com. Thank you very much for your time, Marta. And uh, thanks for being our first guest. And uh, thanks for all of your insights. You're most welcome, Robert. Thank you very much for the invitation to participate. It's been fun. Thank you.